Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that tackles some difficult topics. Sometimes they're more difficult. Some are more difficult than others. This one I wouldn't call a difficult topic, but certainly a topic that concerns all of us. Intimate partner violence in a not-so-intimate workplace. Intimate partner violence at work, in the workplace. And we happen to have an expert with us to help us uh, figure out what this means, what we can do about it, how it impacts all of us, whether we're the ones that are experiencing the violence or not. And I welcome my guest, Linda Seabrook. Welcome. Thank you so much, Heather. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Great. Linda is an attorney, and she has also worked with the U.S. Department of Justice. She leads a number of legal programs and initiatives for Futures Without Violence. And those of you who listen to the show know that that's a resource uh, that we often talk about. She's going to talk about creating safer workplaces free from domestic violence, sexual violence, and stalking. When, uh, just for the purposes of um, um, expediency, can we just lump that all together as interpersonal violence at the workplace, or do they have to be treated sure, separately, sure. Linda? No, okay, no, great. yeah, we can lump that together for sure. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I was absolutely fascinated uh, to see the focus that Futures Without Violence has given to this issue. And you are heading up or you helped uh, to create WorkplacesRespond.org, which is an offshoot of uh, Futures Without Violence, but it deals specifically with when domestic violence, interpersonal violence, or or intimate partner violence um, impacts the workplace. Did you help create this? How long did it take? Um, well, it's been in place for quite some time, um, since 2010. Um, it hasn't been on um, in the virtual world since that time. But what this was born from, uh, it's an initiative of the Office on Violence Against Women at the U.S. Department of Justice, and it's a national resource center that Futures leads. And what we do at Workplaces Respond to Domestic and Sexual Violence, a national resource center, is we provide training and assistance to employers and unions and other workplace stakeholders on creating what we call resilient workplace communities. And what we mean by that is it's those is that we spend so much time at work that is our kind of our community, right? Um, so we want to create those kind of communities that can both prevent as well as appropriately respond to domestic and sexual violence and stalking impacting workers and the workplace. Um, work is a huge part of our lives. We spend more time working than on any other waking activity. And at that same time, there are, you know, 19 million women and men in the United States each year that are victims of domestic violence, sexual violence, and stalking. So if we don't deal with these issues in workplaces, we're missing an an incredible opportunity, a major opportunity, to help move victims to survivors and and intervene uh, in the cycle of violence. Well, in effect, it's a more complex issue because domestic violence, interpersonal or uh, inter- intimate partner violence, does impact the workplace. Now, I happen to be kind of a little quasi expert on this since I'm doing my dissertation on this. Um, yes, I saw. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I'm, I'm doing a little bit different take on it. Um, what I'm looking at is long-term effects on job success. We have a lot of studies, a lot of research that's come up talking about the effect of intimate partner violence on the workplace when it's happening. But the fact is those women will return to the workplace after they escape a violent situation, after they try to rebuild their lives, and they're left with a lot of baggage because of that. Studies 
and show all sorts of uh, long-term effects from having experienced this. And many women, I've seen studies where they said as many as 80% of women um, uh, experience PTSD because of this, even if it's not been physical violence. And these women are not treated, it's not acknowledged, it's not diagnosed. And these folks are going back into the workplace with everybody around them patting them on the back and saying, okay, get over it, let it go, move on. Right. And yet they're carrying all this stuff with them, and that has to have an impact on their work performance, but it also has to have an impact on the workplace. That's my where I'm coming from on this. And because of that, I've, of course, looked at, at most of the research on um, IPV in the workplace, and uh, most of that research that I've seen has to do with immediate problems uh, when the violence is still occurring, when the woman is still in that situation or the victim is still experiencing that. Is is that the take that, that um, workplaces respond takes, or do they look at more long-term? Um, we do look at more long-term. It's, it's, it's very much tied to a woman's economic security and success at the workplace. Um, you know, I think a lot of, especially now, we're talking a lot about, like, sexual harassment in the workplace, right? Um, but I think often the connection between domestic violence and its impact on the workplace is a little less obvious and a little less talked about. Um, and it really does affect um, a survivor's work. Um, they may not, and, and especially if they are a low-wage worker, right, they may not have the ability to take off a shift in order to... Um, go to get a restraining order or to um, or to visit the doctor or a lawyer or law enforcement. Um, they may experience chronic tardiness or changes in their work performance. Um, and that has really very long-term uh, ramifications for their ultimate success within that workplace. Um, so that's now, there are some of, states oh, like sorry? mine in Washington where yeah. there are prohibitions against an employer uh, responding to um, time off, et cetera, for a person who's going through that. Um, but many states don't have those prohibitions. What are some of the hurdles that people face? And I, I unapologetically say that women face because, let's face it, the vast majority of these victims are women, um, okay. even though, and for all of you guys out there, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen to men. My father actually was a, a victim of uh, intimate partner violence. However, you look at the numbers, we're looking at women. So I unashamedly say women when I'm referring to, survi to survivors and to victims. So if that doesn't fit with your sensitivities, Linda, you can, you can correct me. You can, no, not <laughs> you at can all. take me to task. I, I know exactly what you're saying, and I often have to make the same kind of caveat, but it, it is the reality. Yeah, it is, it is. So you mentioned a couple of things that uh, can impact someone, but again, that's more immediate. I mean, if you have to take time off work to go to court or you have to, that's when it's still happening. Um, women carry this baggage with them for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, but let's talk more about the immediate stuff because that's what most people know about. When a woman experiences intimate partner violence, I think the usual perception is that she comes to work with a black eye, um, or she's distracted, and uh, it really doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. Is that true? Um, no. I mean, it has an incredible impact on the entire workplace because um, it contributes to lost time, lost productivity, um, inefficiency, and it does have a long-term effect on that woman's ability to um, 
to move forward in her her job um, because if you um, have these kind of um, impacts right that are those immediate impacts that you were discussing and that I was I mentioned as well um, that that doesn't allow you to move ahead in the way that you <laughs> would would otherwise move ahead if you didn't have those uh, kind of um, impacts and you know we have reports of incredibly sad cases in which you know it, it definitely affects other uh, the whole workplace because there are cases where a disgruntled partner or family member kills the employee at a work site and and that leaves an indelible impact on coworkers you know who may feel guilt and regret over not offering support or assistance um, or they might be um, hurt or harmed or, or killed um, as as bystanders um, so that's yeah. kind of why we kind of encourage a very collaborative approach um, that is uh, employer-based, right? So it's a policy that the employer creates along with employees and advocates um, to develop training and aware awareness raising and educational materials and resources for that workforce um, for workers experiencing violence. Okay, um, so when we let's kind of back up and, and take a, take it in a logical fashion, when we're talking about the impact of intimate partner violence in the workplace, we're talking immediate effects. There are immediate effects. A woman experiences this; she goes to work. It impacts her performance. It impacts um, how she can focus. It impacts her attendance. It impacts all sorts of things. You mentioned that it also impacts those around her. I was looking at a study, um, let me get the, the citation on this here, I've got the pages. It's by, oh, it's the results from the Pan-Canadian Survey, Impact of Domestic mm -hmm. Violence on the Workplace that came out uh, a couple years ago. And of the people in that study, uh, about 38, almost 40% of those um, that they surveyed said that domestic violence has impacted coworkers with um, the not only the immediate safety issue, but then also uh, other impacts on coworkers, such as having to pick up the slack or maybe resentment or maybe fear. Uh, there are all sorts of impacts on coworkers um, that we don't talk about a whole lot, but employers have to deal with that. So what's an employer to do? Yeah, I mean, and I think it's also why um, a lot of um, employees also might feel, coworkers might feel, um, guilt and regret, that's kind of what we see a lot more. Um, because, you know, the people that we work with, they're our colleagues, they're our friends, we see them every day. Um, we can't help but, <laughs> you know, be human. And that's what we find also with, with employers. Um, it, it's often, unfortunately, it's situations that happen that are those tragic situations where an employer then starts to realize that, wow, if I had some kind of um, prevention responses in place, prevention um, prevention uh, aspects in place beforehand, uh, perhaps I could have prevented this. Like a perfect example is the um, the shooting at the elementary school in San Bernardino. Um, that woman was leaving her um, violent and controlling husband, um, and as we know, when you leave a, an abusive relationship, that's the most dangerous time. She's a teacher at the school. Um, he came to the school uh, and he uh, said, oh, she left something in the car this morning. Uh, when I dropped her off, I'd like to give it to her. 
he walked into the classroom, shot her, and shot um, one of her students as well, and they both died. And, um, you know, we talked to actually the San Bernardino School District after that happened, and um, they, that's exactly what they expressed. It was regret. It was if we only had known, if, you know, she only felt like it, this was a safe place, that we could have referred her somewhere, that we, you know, if we knew that it, she was leaving, she, we would have told our security staff not to let the husband on the school grounds. Um, so that's kind of where the kind of, uh, unfortunately, that's the time when the switch flips um, for employers. And they say, okay, well, if we had all these things in place, she would have availed, she may have availed herself of these resources and we could have prevented this tragedy. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, from the employer standpoint. What are their responsibilities? What are their obligations? Um, what do they have to do by law, et cetera? But let's save that until we talk a little bit more about the victims and their coworkers. So you talked, you mentioned earlier about um, the inconvenience of domestic violence, that women miss work, they have to go to court, or they no longer have somebody to watch the kids, and so sometimes they can miss work, and, and anyone with small children always faces those problems anyway with work. Um, they also have the issue of transportation. One of the symptoms of domestic violence uh, perpetrators, one of the uh, things that they do is to sabotage transportation, for example. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes they also come to work and interfere with the, the person's work. So all of those things impact the victim, and then we also see them impacting the coworker. But at what point does it become an employer problem? So, um, you know, employers have a responsibility to prevent known hazards, right, um, to ha have a safe and um, helpful workplace environment. Um, but, you know, there, there's, a, if you're talking about occupational safety and health law, um, often, you know, domestic IPV in the workplace is not going to be covered by that um, because, again, it has to be that kind of known hazard. Um, but, you know, as you, at all the things that you talk about, really do affect an employer's bottom line. And that's like another entry point sometimes that we have with employers rather than a tragic incident. Um, it's in a an employer's best interest to kind of proactively address um, IPV and its effect on the workplace um, because they are, you know, they are losing lost productivity and, and um, there may be increased liability for businesses. Um, and more than anything, they're going to lose the the, they, there is the potential to lose the greatest human resource that they have, and that's the life of one of their employees. Oftentimes it's hard to see that. There's also a difference between large companies and small companies. Large yeah, companies, many of them have policies to deal with uh, uh, intimate partner violence, and they have resources, and they have, um, uh, you know, people in place and huge HR departments, et cetera. Some of them offer training for employees or uh, counseling, et cetera. But small employers do not. Is there a difference, um, have you seen a difference between small employers, how they respond to and try to prevent intimate partner violence, and large companies? Yeah, I, I, I would say that, you know, even in large companies, there, there isn't, or at least I don't 
think that there's a large percentage of large companies that um, have specific policies on IPV. They might have workplace violence policies, but even then, there's only 70% of companies that have workplace violence policies in place, and they may not have spe specific protections and provisions for IPV. Um, I think that employer policies and protocols are kind of critical. Um, it's for, con you know, they, they help us they help the employer conduct risk assessments and informed investigations and encourage bystander intervention and ensure abuser accountability because there might be abusers at the work at the workplace. And it well, that's a whole yeah, of, that's a whole different discussion yeah, that we're going to have yeah, a bit exactly, later. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> but it but yeah. it improves, you know, the victim, you know, victim both victim safety as well as the whole work workplace safety uh, overall. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we we it's all fine and good, and you see this a lot with sexual harassment policies too, right? They um, they have a policy in place. They might do a one-off training, you know, here and there. Maybe it's once a year, maybe not. But it's really it takes more than that. It you have to kind of change the culture to one that um, is more uh, resilient and supportive and um, and really truly safe and healthful. Well, we kind of have to back up from that, don't we? Because I don't think society in general really perceives domestic violence, and we'll, we'll use that term because you and I are both going there. So <laughs> even yeah, though we sorry. want to use partner <laughs> violence as a more yes, inclusive yes. kind of thing, we're we're so used to saying domestic violence, so we'll just we'll just go there. We'll we'll just give ourselves a break and and go there. Um, but I think our society in general seems to think that it's some sort of an odd occurrence, that it only happens every now and then, we're not comfortable talking about it, and when there's some great big huge thing in the news um, where somebody, you know, kills his family or whatever, then we go, oh, tisk tisk, and aren't we glad it happened there instead of here? There doesn't seem to be even though we've done so much work over the last 30 years, and that's the, the royal we, um, yeah. about making um, domestic violence, uh, you know, creating an awareness for it, we don't, we're not comfortable as a society talking about it. We don't want to acknowledge that it happens to our friends and neighbors or to us. Um, and, of course, that we're the ones who are in the workplace. So am I just grabbing at straws here, or do you see that in the work that you're doing with the workplace? No, absolutely. Um, you know, nearly 33% of women killed in U.S. workplaces between 2003 and 2008 were killed by a current or former intimate partner, um, and that's according to the Annals of Epidemiology. Um, so I think that um, – oh, I'm so sorry. I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, about it, right? the understanding that it happens to us. It is us in the workplace. And I'm so glad you did that because that makes me feel so much better when I do that. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> hold on. But there was something that you when you were talking, and I wrote it down. I wrote it down, and now I don't understand what I wrote down. <laughs> It'll come back to you and just pop into uh, it. You know, I, I have to tell our listeners I, I appreciate you so much. You're not feeling well, and yet you're going ahead and doing the show, and I appreciate that. So we'll we'll give you all the slack in the world. You know, thank you so much. <laughs> just sip your honey tea, your lemon tea, exactly. and. and 
relax, it's fine, and pretty soon, as soon as the show's over, you can go back, crawl into bed, and feel better. I appreciate your being here. But um, what I was saying is that I think that society in general doesn't understand domestic violence, they don't understand what it is and the prevalence of it, and so then we talk about the workplace, and we've got society in the workplace. You know, what was that old comic strip where they said, we have seen the enemy and it is us? You know, I mean, we are society and so if we uh, and we are workers in the workplace so if we don't understand it or if we perceive it only as somebody going you know snapping and beating the heck out of his girlfriend or his wife and we really don't understand what it is how can we expect to somehow or other understand it create policies etc in the workplace yeah that's exactly right and 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 it's it's more complicated in workplaces because, you know, we have this kind of belief that, you know, we should have a private life and then we have our work life and never the twain shall meet. And that's just not the way reality is, right? Um, Like I said, like, we spend so much time at work and we uh, work with these same people every day for, you know, however long you're working at that particular job. Um, So there is kind of a, a heightened kind of sense of community almost in in workplaces um your colleagues are your friends and um and as friends and colleagues we do want to support each other um and and we want the workplace to be a safe place to um disclose ask for help um and and to help make the the workplace safer for all, for all um so it's really you know that that whole adage is like you know, what you don't know, you know, can can hurt you. <laughs> um, so it's so it's building those kinds of um, trainings and policies that you know. That's why the collaboration is so so important, is to have the domestic violence service providers, um, sexual assault service providers, partnering with employers to educate their um, staff, to create those um, materials together, to be a resource for um, that, that employer's employees. Um, the collaboration in this whole, in, in building this kind of resilient workplace community is really key. You're not going to be able to do it by just putting together a policy or putting together a one-off training. You really have to do something to institutionalize that you have or you even have a work creating place. a law yeah requiring employers right. to do things or creating I mean, a law. we can create right. laws exactly. you know and and it it doesn't necessarily mean that there will be true understanding true education true whatever collaboration um That's exactly so right. I, again i wanted to kind of spend the first half of the show talking about why we need this, and and that's where I'm kind of hanging in here. Um, So we have um, situations where domestic violence does follow the victim to work, um, sometimes literally, sometimes figuratively. We also have victims who are pretty traumatized. Very few women go through Mm -hmm. uh, domestic violence, regardless of the duration or the intensity of it, without being severely impacted by it, at least in the short term, probably in the long term. So you have people going to work who may be you know, your coworkers don't have to worry that your crazy ex is going to follow you to work and start shooting them. But maybe you're in they the throes of PTSD. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. One of my yeah. great examples of PTSD, because of course everybody understands PTSD from the standpoint of the soldier, which is great. But with people who have experienced domestic violence, 
they don't hear the car backfire and die for cover. They hear a word or a phrase, and exactly internally right. they go to a safer place or a place of fear or whatever their reaction happens to be. So one example that I can tell you about is the phrase, you have no idea. I know a woman for whom that phrase was used to um, as an introduction to abuse. Right. So she right, hears that phrase. She hears that phrase even if she says that phrase or reads that phrase. And she has physical, physiological reactions to that, and she just kind of zones out. And she actually lost a job because she had a supervisor who constantly used that phrase. Whenever that supervisor tried to instruct her or interact with her or train her, he would use that phrase, and she would zone out. And pretty soon her job reviews started showing that she wasn't responsive to criticism, that she oh, wow. had interpersonal communication issues, da 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 da, da mm. and she lost her job. Right, right. Yeah, you lost your I mean, job. In the, employment law, in the employment law context, we would call that constructive discharge, right? <laughs> Is that, yep, um, exactly. Your, your, your exactly. workplace See, we tried. so intolerable. We tried yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that when, because of the lack of education and lack of understanding about intimate partner violence, we see that kind of thing going on a lot in the workplace. I've also heard coworkers say things like, well, I'm really sorry for her situation, but I'm tired of picking up the slack. I'm tired of her mm. having to miss all the mm-hmm. time. I'm tired of this, I'm tired of that. If she can't do it, she shouldn't be working here. Are those attitudes that you see, and what can we do about those attitudes? You know, to be quite honest. Or do I, I just know a, a, a particularly nasty group of people? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I don't see that all that often, It's, but I, but, I, but I do know it's there, right? And that's where I think, like, really, like, adult learning techniques and – and and real peer-to-peer education um, on violence is critical. So what we'll do a lot of times is we'll go in and train managers or train um, fellow employees on um, domestic violence and on workplace policies and, and response strategies, and then they'll train their peers uh, on that so that there's kind of more investment, right, and they kind of get it, um, uh, and, and it makes it more personal um, because it's not – you know, futures without violence coming in and training you. It's your coworkers that you work with every day that are want, just wanting to talk and have a conversation about how we as a workplace are going to um, respond to this issue together. We also have the issue with this particular um, problem of intimate partner violence, domestic violence. We have the issue of people not you, – you learn to keep it a secret, don't you, if you're a victim of that or a survivor of that. Mm-hmm. You learn to keep it a secret. Sure. Um, people don't want to hear about it. And I think, of course, you know, my pet peeve is that we live in a culture where we're expected to just sweep things away, forgive, forget, move on, you know, embrace the unicorns and the rainbows. And if you think too much about the bad experience you had, whether it's a death or whatever, then there's something wrong with you and you need to just shake, it, shake yourself loose and, and move on, you know. And I don't think human beings really work that way. Sometimes it takes you years to move on. Sometimes it takes you weeks. It just depends on the individual. But we live in a climate where it's not acceptable to stay in a bad place even when you need to. Does that make sense? Right. Is what I'm saying? No, it sense? absolutely does. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, And especially when we go into the workplace, you know, there's a limit to what we can share in the workplace. So, for example, if I broke my leg 
I went into work, and my coworkers are there, and my boss is saying, "Hey, put these, carry these things down the hall, and put them in the in the closet." And I go, "You know what? I broke my leg. You know, I just got the cast off. Do you think somebody else could do that?" And some of the other workers will go, "Oh, sure. You know, sure." If you say, I can't do that or I prefer not to do that because, you know, I had this horrible experience that happened to me, you know, uh, three years ago, and it was uh, you're going to get stares like, what are you talking about? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I think there's a huge uh, problem with communicating this kind of thing in the workplace. When you were saying earlier that an employer has a responsibility by law to create a safe, um, environment uh, as safe and free from known threats. If you can't tell your employer what your threat is, how can the employer be held responsible or be able to create that safe place? Right, exactly, and that's and it's a conundrum, right? But but I think that that's where really the, I mean, again, to go back to you know that collaboration and that and and the. Um, policies and protocols and training and awareness raising is that, you know, you you have to make the workplace a safe place, right? Um, like, to go back to the San Bernardino shooting, you know, her, her co-workers wanted her to tell them, but she, she obviously didn't feel like that was appropriate or, or, you know, she could or any of that. But imagine if you had um, your workplace culture changed in a way that, like, we want to hear this, we want to help you, we have resources and referrals for you. Um, I think that that would encourage more disclosure. I think that it sounds to me like part of this is not just educating the employer but educating the coworkers as well. And you said that, that – Absolutely. Um, that your program, you know, helps with with doing that. Let's talk more specifically about the program. Let's talk about um, workplace. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for my notes here, and I don't have my glasses on. But it's workplace. Work workplace places respond, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay, great. Let's talk first right. of all. Tell us why the program started. And you said it started in 2010, but you guys just recently got an online presence, right? Um, we got an online presence, uh, I believe, in 2014. It was a little bit before my time, so I apologize. Um, I believe it was an online presence in 2014. We just recently redid um, our website. Um, the other website, uh, you know, in technology, A, changes so fast that, like, we had to kind of catch up. Um, and then, B, it was actually not very user-friendly um, the way it was initially set up. Um, now, if you go on our website, you'll see that we have specific tailored resources depending on who you are, right? If you're an employer, um, there's the model policy that you can look at. There are um, workplace protocols. There are fact sheets. There are uh, a sample supervisor training video videos that you can see. Um, if you're an employee or a coworker, right, um, there are specific tailored resources for you. And then again, if you're an advocate and you're wanting to engage with the, uh, an employer in your, uh, in your town or help um, domestic violence survivors or sexual assault survivors with, um, with coping with the workplace impacts of domestic and sexual violence, then um, there's resources for advocates in, in that regard as well. Okay. 
So, and, and I went to the website. It is very user-friendly. I mean, as you said, there's oh, three separate <laughs> categories of advocates. If you're an advocate, go here. And it's almost, I remember the stories, I forget what they're called, the choose-your-ending things where you start out, you read a couple pages, and then, you know, I, I read these to my kids. And then, you know, do you want them to do this? Then go here. If you want them to do that, then yeah. turn the page such and such. <laughs> and it, it's almost like that. It's very user-friendly. Um, oh, but um one of the things that also appealed to me was that you have a section for unions as well. Yes, absolutely. And we've actually just, we've always had a kind of uh, work that we've done with unions. Um, uh, unions are an incredibly important workforce intermediary. Um, they are a workers' rights um, organization. Um, and what we're talking about, like workplace safety and worker safety and and the effects of IPB on a workplace is a workers' rights issue. So it's very natural that um, we would connect with unions. Um, right now, we have a, um, a project in place with um, SEIU USWW in California to, um, and, and with many partners um, to work on um, strategies, policies, procedures, and, and otherwise to help um, janitorial workers in California um, be free from sexual harassment and violence in the workplace. Because as you know, um, you know, janitors are in our office buildings when we're gone. They work in very isolated environments, and they are extremely vulnerable to experiencing um, sexual violence or harassment on the job. Um, so we're really trying to make some intervention strategies along with our partners to, um, to, to change that. Okay. Um, one of the things that we mentioned earlier in our conversation, I said we'd come back to it, is what if the worker is the abuser? Yeah, so that's a whole different picture. And, um, and I try to look at this from the standpoint of a coworker. You know, if I, if I am working next to someone and I suspect that he or she, um, in the, in, in, <laughs> that's my nod to political correctness, um, that um, there's uh, abuse going on there, that this person could be an abuser, I don't have any proof, what do I do? You know, and and maybe there's nothing I can do. Um, but what if I find out that he really is? What do I do? Um, what does the employer do? I mean, this idea of the perpetrator in the workplace is a whole different ballgame. How does your organization sure. deal with that? So that's where your your the model model policy that we've developed addresses that. Um, it has a separate section about when the abuser is in the workplace. Um, it provides um, best practices for conducting investigations, for conducting workplace safety planning, for discipline, and for responding to workers who commit violence. Um, you know, there are strategies in place, you know, if you decide to terminate the offender, you know, what's that process like? And if, you know, you, you brought up a very complex kind of issue, right, if the, if the uh, survivor is another coworker, um, that complicates things all the more. Um, so it's really you have to kind of adhere to the policy um, and and follow the best practices for ensuring both that survivor safety, workplace safety, as well as offender accountability. That's that's critical. Okay. And you can see sometimes that so like uh, as oh, sorry. We, oh, sometimes we see that these different 
needs and policies and requirements clash just as the woman who is uh, trying to be safe and keep her kids safe from uh, a, a, a perpetrator and CPS comes in and says, you cannot allow your children to see their, this person because he hurts them and if you can't keep your kids safe, we'll take them away. So then she goes to court and the family judge says, you can't keep these kids' father from seeing them, blah, blah, blah. That's a clash. Yeah, it's the absolutely. same thing, I would think, when we're talking about these policies and these different focuses. And, uh, you know, I mean, how do employers deal with these clashes and needs? If you have, you, your gut feeling as an employer might be, okay, Joe was arrested for domestic violence. It's pretty clear that he did it. I'd like to fire him. What's the likelihood that you really can? You know, uh, there, there needs well, to I be. Mean, go ahead. Yeah, well, you can fire anybody um, for any reason or no reason at all. Um, you just can't fire them for a discriminatory reason. Um, so uh, it's especially helpful if there is a process in place it, within your workplace policy that provides the steps for discipline or a strategy for conducting investigations and discipline um, for somebody who is an abuser in the uh, uh, and is uh, one of your employees. Okay. So, um, again, when we were talking, we're talking about employers, we're talking about a wide range. We're talking, you know, mm -hmm. Amazon, Microsoft that have huge HR departments with people who can keep up on these things and understand what the requirements are. And then you've got mom and pops who maybe have two or three employees. Uh, it's a totally different thing. Uh, how do you address these, this issue with, with small companies that, that cannot afford, you know, lawyers and HR people and, you know, huge, uh, dedicate huge resources to creating policies, et cetera? Well, that's actually where we come in. We provide specific technical assistance in tailoring our model policy to your particular workplace. And we've done that in um, specifically in our three pilot sites, one with a uh, grower, Pacific Foods in um, Immokalee, Florida, along with our partners, the Coalition of Immokalee Workers and the Fair Food Standards Council, um, which is a, I mean, they're, they're a relatively smaller employer within Immokalee, um, and um, that's where you really kind of rely on your partners, right? Um, uh, it's helping with that model policy development. Um, it's, uh, you know, and working with their HR department on that. It's uh, working with uh, your community-based partners uh, on training and, and other types of assistance and responses and strategies. Um, it really can't be done in a vacuum. And, it's, and, and, and to be honest, I don't think it should be something that is solely done by lawyers. Um, I used to be in a former life, I used to be an employment lawyer, and I specialized in occupational safety and health. And, um, you know, I, I see now <laughs> and what I'm doing now how truly beneficial it is to ha take a more um, collaborative and comprehensive approach to workplace safety um, that is more um, driven by employee needs and, and workplace needs and community needs. Okay. So, okay, I'm a small employer, and I yes. contact you, your organizations. Your organization, what do you do? How do you help me? How do you approach me? How do I approach you? Sure. First, I would 
see what you need and what you want. Um, we conduct a very detailed needs assessment, um, a workplace environment assessment, um, employee assessment, uh, you know, what's their structure, what's their organizational structure, or if they're a mom and pop, like what, what brings you to us, right? Is there a particular concern? Um, and then we try and map out like who in their community could be a partner for them so that they don't have to do it alone. Um, and then, you know, we're not really providing uh, legal advice, but what we're doing is helping um, create a, a policy that, um, that they can then, you know, vet with, you know, their lawyer. I mean, even if you're a mom and pop, you have to have some kind of legal counsel. Um, but but it, we give them a, a package, right, so that they're, they're ready to go, and so um, they have somebody that can, can say, okay, this is based on your local laws, right, and, and local requirements, this is what, you know, you need to do. Because there are certain states that have requirements that you can't fire somebody if they're a victim of domestic violence or you can't penalize them or otherwise. Um, but there are exemptions a lot of times if you're kind of a mom and pop. So, you know, it, it all depends, right? This is all, uh, any type of law is is the the floor. It doesn't have to be the ceiling. And I, I have seen many um, companies that, even small companies, that want to reach the ceiling. Um, they don't want to just do the minimum because they care about their yeah. workers, especially in the smaller organizations, because it, that yeah. gives you kind of more of a sense of community. I think you're right. And I think in smaller companies, um, people do tend to become family and care more about each other uh, than in large companies, larger companies where there's so many people. So, um, yeah, okay. So as an employer, there are things you can do. Does your comp does workplaces respond, um, uh, charge for all this, or is it just available? No, not How at do all. They We're funded. Right, we're funded from the uh, Office on Violence Against Women at the U uh, U.S. Department of Justice. We also have a, um, with assistance uh, for some other projects that we're doing from the Kellogg Foundation. Um, so we provide all of this free of charge. Um, and we not only provide it to the public, but we also provide it to um, technical assistance to federal agencies. Um, there was an executive order that required all federal agencies to implement um, workplace policies that addressed domestic and sexual violence and stalking. Um, that was signed by President Obama in 2011. Um, all but two federal agencies right now have implemented those policies. Um, we help with training. We ha we do events for them. Um, October is a very busy month for us because yes. it's domestic violence month. October is domestic violence awareness month. That's yeah. right. Um, so uh, we really try to make those policies. You know, I used to be at DOJ, right? All the policies yeah. can kind of lie flat. We really do try and make the policies kind of come alive. Um, I have staff that's based uh, in D.C. Um, you know, our headquarters is in San Francisco, but I'm based in D.C., and so is um, another attorney on my staff, as well as a program assistant. So we, um, you know, we usually put on a road show <laughs> at different <laughs> federal agencies, like uh, for most of the month of October. So um, we're looking forward to um, really uh, making those policies come alive.
this month. Okay. When you say, let's get a little bit more specific. When you say policies, what do the policies encompass? So they, um, first for ride, I think any policy needs to provide definitions, right? What are we talking about? What is IPV, right? What is domestic violence? What is sexual assault? How does it what does it look like in the workplace? Um, what are your protections? Um, and then, you know, the policy, like I said before, has procedures in place for um, investigations, um, if there's a suspe suspected abuser that's working there. There's also um, policies in place for um, specific aspects of the policy that deal with, you know, when a victim discloses, right? Um, and what does that mean, right? What are the confidentiality protections that the employer is willing to make? Um, you know, what are the best practices for that? Um, so, so those are all kind of the, the core components of um, any workplace policy. Okay. And then, of course, touches on the other kinds of general employment uh, issues, right, like uh, unemployment <laughs> um, insurance and um, compensate, workers' compensation and all of that, just in case that there are, you know, injuries that occur at work. Okay. So that's kind of setting up the policy. Um, when uh, I guess I'm reading from... Um, the Institute for Women's Policy Research out of Washington, D.C., and they came out with a That's paper called friend. Intersections of Domestic Violence and Economic Security. Under um, uh, policies, under uh, they make the statement in that report that employers can support survivors by implementing accommodations. Now it goes on, um, but is that something that you have seen or recommend or that you uh, put in these policies as some sort of accommodation? Yes. Okay. Yes, and thank you, how thank long you for that. <laughs> that <laughs> and reminder. is that just accommodation for people who are currently experiencing the domestic violence, or would that be accommodation for people down the road after they're – and, and then you get the whole definition thing. From In my mind, um, those currently experiencing domestic violence um, has, to, has to do more with the safety and threat. Um, but you can define it any way you want because, uh, you know, I mean, we've already talked about it at the beginning of the show how once you've experienced that, it, you know, there's ongoing repercussions that sometimes can go on for years. So when do you say you're currently experiencing it and when do you say it's in the past and, you know, I mean, it's a whole big muddy thing. And then you bring in the idea of accommodations. How – what's up with all that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it it depends on the employer, Right. So, again, you can have the employer that has the kind of the floor in their policy and an employer that has the ceiling. So the employer that has the ceiling would have accommodations in, in place for somebody who, you know, is not currently experiencing violence, but is having repercussions from violence. Um, and also, you know, I used to also be a prosecutor, and criminal cases take a really long time. So while you might be out of that abusive situation, you might actually, you know, one, two, even sometimes, unfortunately, three years out, you're having to uh, go to trial, go to witness prep, and things like that. Oh, please, and, three um, years? And ten. Oh, I know women who are going for ten, yeah, twelve exactly. years. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Well, you know, we run a we run a rocket socket. So you're, you're looking at an ideal situation of it's only three years. Yes, that's exactly true. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so you know, and and by law, you know, 
employers have to make those accommodations, right? If you're a victim of violence and you're actually going to um, to court, um, depending on the state, you know, you have to. They would have to provide those accommodations. But you know, for somebody who's per- currently experiencing violence. You know things like flexible leave and changing your workstation um, or your contact information if there's some um, indication of stalking uh, or um, uh, putting other security measures in place, doing uh, safety planning. There's also in some states there's the ability for the employer itself to obtain a protective order so that the victim doesn't have to, um, so that. Uh, it kind of takes her out of the equation, um, which can be an effective strategy. So it really does huh. depend on the employer and what they want to do. Um, of course, we encourage the the ceiling and not the floor because that's really gonna, that's gonna that's gonna lead to your employees and actually your business's long term success. If that employee can take care of of what they're dealing with, no matter when it happens. Well, yes, and the the safer a person feels, the more they can take their mind off of that particular problem and focus on their work. Um, That's exactly the, right. Again, the Institute for Women's Policy Research suggests different things for employers to do, um, such as helping helping uh, survivors create safety plans, providing training for staff and survivors' rights, organizational response, and um, uh, instituting survivor-friendly policies like paid sick days. Um, are there is that something that uh, workplaces respond goes into, or are you looking at it we more? We do. That's yeah. No, that's that's all in our model policy, and I would encourage everyone to to kind of look at it because it's really quite it's quite good. Um, I'm very proud of it. <laughs> um, I didn't initially create it, so, I, so there's no ego in there. <laughs> yeah. No. No. There's no ego there at all. Um, um, but it really is. It kind of covers all the bases. I think. Um, but one thing that you said that um, I, I would say I would disagree with um, IWPR about is having the employer engage in safety planning with the employee. I think that that's something that, again, that's where your collaboration is really critical um, and to really have um, – because we don't – we don't want an employer thinking that they have to be a domestic violence advocate, right, or a victim's rights services provider, (laughs) a victim services provider. So we want um, employers to to have those kind of connections with the community resources and referrals so that that the victim can then um, go to the community organization, get the safety planning and other help and resources that they need, and then come back to the employer and say, okay, well, this was the advocate's recommendations, and let can we talk with the security staff about what we can do here? Um, so I don't really want to put that on the employer um, because I think that that really makes an employer quite nervous, in my experience. Well, exactly, um, I, and I don't, I'm, yeah. and quite frankly, I don't blame them. I mean, you start a yeah. business making widgets, and then all of a sudden you're supposed to be a, a social service worker or a lawyer right, or whatever. Right. Um, and we've and, that over and over again. 
Like, let the experts do what they do, and you do what you do, which is running your business. (laughs) Well, and and it seemed, when I read that as well, I thought, wouldn't it be better for you as an employer to know what resources are available out there? Why do you have to invent the wheel and build it with your employees? Why don't you just find out what wheels there are out there and make sure that everybody has access to that? Um, And, And or, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and a lot you know, of employers, invite, like, don't know. Invite them in for a training right? or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Employers just don't know. Like, a, how how would we expect an employer to, to kind of – and safety planning is very complicated and very nuanced, and there's very – there's a well-established best practices, right, that an employer just wouldn't even know and wouldn't even know even if trained, right? <laughs> I mean, well, you really exactly. have to and, leave and it to the And it's such expert. a comprehensive topic. I mean, again, yeah. 30 years ago it was domestic violence that was – Oh, a husband hits his wife. Boom. That's how it was defined. Now right. we've expanded to intimate partner violence. No, not everybody's right. a husband. Not everybody's a wife. Not everybody, you know, right. it's, it's not all men hitting women. It's not all women hitting That's women. Right. It's not all, you know, it's I mean, it's all gender. muddled up. Right. You know, yeah. and it's all of a sudden it's not no longer all hitting. You know, I, right. it, it's right. this other stuff, you know, that can be just as devastating. In fact, the studies show, you know, the what we used to call the psychological violence actually has a longer impact on many women uh, than the physical. Um, so we've got now we've got moved into, you know, all this other stuff, you know, and now all of a sudden we're not talking just intimate partners. We're talking gendered violence. We're talking, you know, right. it's such a comprehensive and kind of ever-changing and hard to define, hard to pin down um, topic. How can one employer possibly know everything there is to know in order to help people and and their employer used to be productive and to help people stay safe? Right, and nor should they. Right. Get me a soapbox. Um, Get me a soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get this straightened out. Yeah. Exactly. You know your stuff, Heather. You know your stuff. I do. <laughs> okay. Can I have you that in writing? I'm going to embrace it. Yeah. You I can do. show my kids. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I will put that on your dissertation. <laughs> there we go. Linda Seabrook says, "I know my stuff. Please grant me this PhD <laughs> that you've been." torturing me over for four years now okay oh my Uh, gosh oh please don't even don't even get me started on that one you know i've had friends long-term friends who are going really you're still doing that oh okay i thought you dropped out no i didn't drop out (laughs) yeah it took my mother quite some time to finish hers yeah oh jeez it is pure torture and in my view unnecessarily so Okay, enough of that, enough of my whining. Workplacesrespond.org, funded by grants, funded by, by the government, by the Office of Violence Against Women. Available to whom? Uh, available to everyone. Um, you know, we ha- we do have those kind of buckets that we have on our website of, like, that's just how we get you t- tailored resources to, to you. But... Um, you can also, uh, there's a contact us link on there, um, and you can get direct technical assistance um, uh, if you're experiencing um, violence and it's impacting the, your, work, your work or your workplace, um, or if you are an employer and you just want to find out, you know, what are some best practices. Maybe I don't want to do a policy, but I just kind of want to talk to somebody about, you know, what I could do that's just, you know, uh, 
a little so I can make sure that my employees know that I care and and I, I'm at least going to refer them to, to local resources. Um, and it could be anything all the way up to, you know, we can help that employer build a collaboration that's local that um, really kind of gets to what we are hoping. Just I want, I have this dream of these like universal, safe, and resilient workplaces, right? That are just, um, <laughs> you know, that are just everywhere. You're, you're and so that, and that, generous. My dream is that I'll weigh 112 pounds again. That's my dream. No. <laughs> Actually, I'm not kidding, no. but you know, <laughs> yours is so much better. <laughs> no, I just, I just, I just, I, I, because I think that it's just, it's such a critical intervention point you know we said we've seen it with healthcare, right we've seen it with you know a woman coming to the doctor and um i know that actually before when i was interviewing here it's kind of interesting i uh, was getting my gallbladder removed and the nurse um did the pre-op kind of uh interview with me and she said uh, you know after asking me all the questions like you know how much do you weigh and all of that fun stuff she said um are you experiencing violence that you want to talk about? And I stopped her and I was like, why did you ask me that question? And she said, we're actually required to, um, to ask it within the Affordable Care Act. And it turns out, once I went for my interview at Futures, like Futures is one of the organizations that, um, that worked to get that as part of the Affordable Care Act because, you know, you're going to get you're going to get everybody gets seen by a doctor at some point we hope right so if that doctor is just able to take a pause and say is there somebody is it, is there somebody hurting you do you want to talk about it and can i get you resources and they have resources on hand that's 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 a critical intervention point and i think it's the absolutely same and the chances are that the person will say no no, no, no. But if that person sure, keeps getting asked yeah. that every time she goes to the yes, doctor, there might come exactly a time right. where she will say, "Yes, I do need help." Um, exactly so right. I, you know, I, uh, because I've heard people criticize that question, like nobody's going to say yes to that. Uh, that needs to be phrased differently. Da, da, da. Well, that's picking nits. You know, if you're asked frequently enough, at some point when you're ready, you'll say, "Yeah, I am." That's right. Um, that's right. We also have. Um, Sorry, we also have a national resource center on, on health and domestic violence um, that's on the Futures uh, website as well um, that you can connect to it, and it gives those types of um, tips for clinics, for doctors, um, uh, an amazing technical assistance. <laughs> um, they're actually well, Futures our is a model. Model. <laughs> an amazing resource. Uh, I mean, they really oh, are. That we've had representatives on the show a couple times, and uh, you know, just an amazing resource. And uh, they show some research. They show, um, yeah, I mean, any aspect. So that's futureswithoutviolence.org. But the show today, specifically on workplacesrespond.org, workplacesrespond.org. Uh, one quick question. We only have about a minute left. But Linda, if we are not a particular workplace, but instead an organization. Can we take mm -hmm. advantage of some of the workplace respond uh, information as well? Absolutely. Like I said before, we work with workforce intermediaries. We work with what we call non-workplace stakeholders, um, which might be the faith community, right? It might be a, a community organization. Um, 
actually the people that initially contacted us after the San Bernardino um, shooting that I referenced earlier was a, just a community uh, organization that saw a need, saw some, something that happened, and they wanted to help. Yeah, an amazing resource and a very heavy topic and something that impacts, I think, most of us more than we actually realize. So uh, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, gendered violence, whatever you want to call it, in the workplace. Workplace respond workplacesrespond.org. Linda Seabrook.